Hey everyone, welcome back to Leadership, the podcast where we talk about the social responsibility of business leaders and highlight where they are stepping in it or where they are avoiding stepping in it, as it were. Adriel, hey. how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing all right. A little tired. Um, I am on West Coast time right now and my body is still like, why are we here? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's been early. a while since I've done this. It's so interesting. Like I used to uh, travel to the West Coast pretty often for work um, and it was like nothing. And now that I'm a little older, I'm like, how did I do this? <laughs> this is not normal. <laughs> Feeling your age a little bit. Yep. I always I always like going to the West Coast because um, I'm, I'm like, an early riser. I'm like, all of a sudden, mm. I'm a morning person. I'm like, oh, 6 a.m. I'm wide awake. This is no. fantastic. No, you're alone <laughs> on that one. <laughs> I'm like, I consider myself an early riser, but I'm like a 7.45 to 8 early riser. Before that, I'm like, don't talk to me. I don't know you. I don't, I need, coffee doesn't even help. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but if you're a 7.45, 8 early riser on Eastern time, you can be an even more early riser on the no, West Coast. It doesn't feel that way. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And then it's like just on the tail end of the daylight saving situation. Yeah. That oh, everyone suffered true. from apparently that's this year. Still so. a thing. That's yeah. Still a thing. Very odd. Yeah. Whenever I'm traveling, I try to stay on the time zone of like my home as uh, much as I can. Yeah. Yeah. I should have tried to, that. I, I went to Paris a couple months ago and I just ended up staying up really late at night <laughs> to try to like, because I was only going to be there for a few days. So I was like, oh, I don't want to yeah. mess my, you know, time up too much yeah. and then have to come back and be all jet lagged. Anyway, that's true. anyway, that's true. Yeah. Um, it's my son's birthday today. So oh, I'm going to give birthday. a quick shout out to my son, who's probably not going to listen to this, but I'm still very excited. <laughs> He's uh, eight years old, and so we did We did an early morning um, wake-up call with some donuts and, like, a little candles this morning. So that was – we've been up for a while doing birthday prep and stuff. Okay. It's been fun. That's awesome. Happy birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's – I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people that has an existential crisis every time my kids age because it um, makes me feel old. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, we've only got this many years left with you. I know. Um, but, you it's know, a celebration my, my burden to bear. Yeah, it's a celebration of you too, right? As a parent, you you know what? I'm gonna kept take him that. alive for eight years. Thank you, Adriel. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little victory. Yeah, it's like a little victory. It really is. <laughs> it's oh. been a uh, wild week in the news, as it has been the last few weeks. We are still yes. on the brink, holding our breaths about the bank crisis. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we are waiting with bated breath to see if Trump is going to be indicted, which he, mm. uh, on Truth Social, called out saying he was going to be indicted yesterday. Right. Didn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. So every day we're kind of waiting to see what, what is going to happen. Are you, uh, are you paying close attention to this? I've been following. It's so interesting because I was I was tracking the news in New York and they're like, oh, we put out all these barricades just in case. And NYPD is PD well, called for protests. Yeah. So, I mean, no surprise there. Um, I kind of feel I don't know. It's it's Trump. Like, he's just creating chaos. <laughs> I just like every like you can't. Uh, I don't know about you, but I definitely got a little bit of I don't want to call it PTSD because I hate when people Mm -hmm. minimize actual PTSD but I got I got anxiety about calling for protests when we're still not over the insurrection on January 6th when he called for protests exactly what are you doing dude yeah and I think that's the fear right which is why major cities have like well mostly NYC and, and DC have ramped up security out of fear of a repeat 
of January yeah. 6th, which is just, he knows what Ugh. he's doing, you know? He, he's doing yeah, it on purpose. Yeah, I mean, I, he definitely does. Um, so. so, I mean, we will, <laughs> maybe that's what we'll be talking about next week, but so far we'll we're just holding our breath. Um, yeah. Speaking of burying your head in the sand, um, mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis is launching an 18-state alliance against ESG investing. Uh, at the same time that Biden finally vetoed the anti-ESG bill that came out of Congress trying to restrict um, considerations of environmental sustainability and social impact on um, where people are investing in their pensions. It was mm-hmm. his first veto. And what a dumb one. I just want to I mean, say, like, what of all the things to have to veto, he must have been like, what are you doing? Like, this is so stupid. Why are we focused on this? I just, it, it almost feels like he just sits at home sometimes and is like, what should I do today? <laughs> like, what's going to poke folks' buttons? It's just, I don't know, Ron, what is, uh, Trump's been calling him Ron de Sanctimonious, which is which very is in- interesting. It's just kind of lame. Quite. Like, he still hasn't landed on a good nickname for him, right? No, no. <laughs> um, um, I just, I just feel like this is the most performative nonsense. Yeah. It's like, no, not substantive at all there are what, what frustrates me about it the most i think is i think there are legitimate criticisms of esg and esg investing yeah, yeah. and it just gets lost in this com- in this like politicized conversation for sure it's not just about should we pay attention to environmental sustainability or social impact as part of our investment strategy i mean i think it, the answer is yes it's just is esg the right vehicle for that or not and i think that's a legitimate right. debate we should be having and we're not having that debate because we're talking about woke capitalism nonsense it, it just feels like a, such a distraction, you know, from the real issues. Um, I'm glad Biden vetoed uh, the restrictions bill, but it's just so unfortunate. It feels like a waste of his time that he even has to do that. That's what I'm saying. He must you know? have been like, seriously, I got to do this now. Like, I've got I've got shit on my plate, guys. Like, we're, yeah. we're trying to avoid a banking crisis right now. I'm trying to keep the economy from teetering into a recession. And you got me doing this. Come mm-hmm. on. Not to mention the world being on fire, which I know we're going to touch on as well. <laughs> like literally about to overheat. Um, oh. <laughs> it's just so interesting. Oh, so interesting. you are referring to the UN cl- uh, climate report that came yes. out in this last week um, yes. that basically said, hey, we've got about 10 years until we're past the brink of no return and we need to start making some huge changes right now. Did you feel like this report, I, I felt like this report was like, like barely even landed. Just like no. the last inter- intergovernmental report on climate change, it barely even made a dent. Like people yeah. just, it's just not news. Like we're just like, yep, that sounds right. It's not news. And there's certainly, I was looking at, although I try to always avoid Fox News, but I like to be informed on all ends, but they shared a report or an article where they were talking about how people were basically just kind of like, mocking it they're like every prediction that the un has made has been wrong and um it's it's so unfortunate (laughs) there's like this this distrust there but also i i don't know i i wake up and i look around and i'm like yep climate change is real like i don't know about you but every day there's some natural disaster or the weather that we once knew does not exist where we live Um, and those are clear indicators i mean there are countries that are losing food supplies because of climate change. Um, and it's impacting us too in the US. We just don't hear about it. And there's no clear answer to what we should be doing, if anything. Well, we, we hear about it. We just don't necessarily tie it directly into climate change. Like, 
the yeah. extreme weather that that California has been experiencing, speaking of being in California, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. is like if you frame that up as not just extreme weather, but extreme weather related back to how the climate is changing, which yeah. we don't always do a good job of, then you can see how the impacts of climate change are affecting us right now. Mm-hmm. I want to just tie in what we've been talking about, which is that the UN, like you are in California and California's literally on fire half the mm-hmm. time. The UN is saying, hey, we've got about 10 years to avoid complete disaster. Yeah. Meanwhile, Biden is having to veto a bill that mm-hmm. would restrict investors from considering environmental impacts as part of their investment strategy. That is the state of yes. this conversation. I am losing my mind, Adriel. <laughs> but like, you got is, it right. <laughs> this is, <laughs> like, this is insane. What yeah. is happening? Yeah. Um, a lot of distraction from the real issues, honestly. Um, Meanwhile, yeah. let's talk about, so the other UN report that was uh, released this week, I think is actually more fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that is that um, the UN released its report about the happiest countries in the world. Did you see mm-hmm. this one? I didn't. Now I have to look because I'm yeah. just like, what? <laughs> is this a, this is, is a real thing. I mean, let's be honest. We know where the happiest nations are going to be. They're always in like the Nordic part of the world, right? Sure. Finland was the world's happiest country for six years in a row. No surprise. And then Denmark, Iceland, Sweden, Norway, all very up there. No surprise. I just want to say, like, these are very cold countries. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't consider happiness like being freezing in the snow like you know like the typical picture we think is like a beach but there's something about this area of the world where they're they're getting it right well i think there's a stronger sense of just community and from what i've read generosity and low corruption and the health life expectancy is much higher in a lot of ways um and so i think you know there's just a sense of humanity there and humility that is helping them thrive. Um, I bet it yeah. also, it really depends on who you ask too, because those are not the most diverse places either. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd point. be curious to, to hear what some of the demographics, how some of the demographics feel about that, but it makes sense. I mean, I, you don't, you don't really hear about those Nordic countries like, in, in sort of a bad tone, very rarely, if ever. I can't think of anything recently where I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, we don't hear about them at all. Maybe it's the no news is good news kind of. Uh, yeah. they're, they're, they're just doing their thing, man. Minding their uh, business, drinking their water. <laughs> the U.S. came one rank up in this. We went from mm. 16th to 15th, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um, very. Benevolence. They, they, so they, they ranked on a couple of different uh, categories. And benevolence is one of them and it is about 25% higher than it was pre-pandemic. So people are um a little bit more generous maybe now that we've gone through this insanity together. That's very interesting. I yeah. as always love to see breakdowns of data so I'll have to circle back and look at that one. Yeah, you should everybody should. Yeah. I mean I I just think it's very interesting to to um read this data especially in light of i've been reading a lot of kind of philosophical critiques about happiness being a life goal recently Mm, like should mm -hmm. we even be aiming for happiness considering that when you aim to be happy you are often less happy because happiness comes out of 
doing things for other people and getting into work that is meaningful and getting into flow states with things that you like to do. It's like aiming at happiness itself is actually counterintuitive in a lot of ways. Oh, that's so true. I never even really thought about it in that way. I mean, you have to generally put in quite a bit of work to have your basic needs met. So which can be exhausting yeah. to reach happiness. That's so interesting. Yeah. Hmm. That's what I'm here for, Adriel, really, is to blow your mind. That's what <laughs> Truly, I'm, that's I'm what like I'm having a moment where I'm like, wow, okay, wait, I've got to get into this. It is too early in the morning <laughs> in your time. You're no, like, but actually. You're like, oh, oh, maybe I have some coffee before we talk yes, about philosophy. Yes. All right. Um, what are you bringing to us this week? What do you want to deep dive on? I want to, and I think we may have explored this a few episodes back, but I want to talk a bit more about this TikTok ban. Um, the CEO is, he's, he's in town this week. He's in the U.S. and he's going to be speaking to Congress, um, really pleading his case for why TikTok should not be banned. And it's so interesting because it is a bipartisan issue. So really looking forward to uh, us getting into it today. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. What are you bringing today? I want to talk about generative AI. I mean, mm, okay. I feel like you can't throw a rock in Silicon Valley and not hit somebody working on some AI project. Recently, yes. I, I, was, I tweeted a few weeks ago, like, I'm really actually sick of reading about it. It's like, mm-hmm. marketers have to AI their AI so that AI doesn't <laughs> AI things to them. Like, I'm just like, we're just trying to cram in as many, many AI buzzwords into every yeah. tech article right now. It's kind of making me sick of it. But there are some like very legitimate things happening in this space. I mean, obviously, there's chat GPT, which Mm -hmm. has made a huge splash and people are talking about incorporating in a lot of different ways. But um, Microsoft is making a huge move to uh, incorporate AI into their um, uh, office suite. Mm -hmm. Adobe is starting to incorporate generative AI into their a suite of creative products. Yeah. So there's just, there's a lot to unpack here in terms of not only how do we, how can we think about the use of AI and like, you know, where can we unlock value here? But we need to consider how this is about to displace a ton of creative and administrative work. And I kind of want to unpack that part with you. It's already happening. Yes. Let's get into it. All right. Um, let's talk about the TikTok ban first. Cause I, yes. I just, I'm I'm following this so closely. Not only as a TikTok user, yes, because there's lots of opinions on TikTok about t- this TikTok ban, as you would expect, but also yep. just that I find this whole story fascinating because there's so many like geopolitical implications mm-hmm. and you know c- social media competition implications, but also there's like like we talked about a few weeks ago, people who have built entire companies on the back of TikTok. Yeah. So what's the story here? Like, what what can we look forward to in terms of how this is unfolding? Oh, goodness. From what I'm seeing, it is very likely that there might actually be a TikTok ban, which is a little unreal. I, again, struggling to wrap my head around some concepts this morning, but um, it is a bipartisan issue and both sides um, are seeing TikTok as a threat um, because it is majority owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance. And there are concerns over privacy, which is a little surprising considering how many social media um, platforms are constantly leveraging our data day to day um, and intertwined with one another. I don't know about you, but I find it so 
creepy when I am either talking about something or Googling something and then I go to a social media platform and there's some targeted ad or there's some profile that just pops up that was about whatever I was looking at or talking <laughs> about and I'm like, big brother's watching, this is creepy as shit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's so interesting. I think there are, of course, a lot of issues between the U.S. and China that are triggering these concerns around... Um, whether or not we should keep TikTok or have access to TikTok. Um, it has right. been banned in other places. It's it's really interesting, though, because there are so many users in the U.S. There are roughly 150 million users, yeah. uh, U.S.-based users. They just unveiled users. that there were even more users than they had previously disclosed. Yes, yes. So we're talking roughly half of the U.S. <laughs> is using TikTok. Um, and so that also includes a number of businesses, um, more specifically a lot of small and medium-sized businesses. So the U.S. sees that as a threat as well. So it's really interesting. Um, the CEO of TikTok, Xiaozi Chu, he took to the TikTok uh, official page on TikTok to try to plead his case and try to get people to, I guess, comment. He didn't really tell people to like call their legislators. He was just like, comment and let us know why you think TikTok should stay around. And so people did that. Um, I don't know how helpful that will be. Um, he will be in front of Congress, in front of a committee called the House Energy and Commerce Committee, which is one of the oldest committees that has taken on a variety of names over the... Yeah, that's a wide uh, definition of a committee. That could <laughs> yeah, be no. many <laughs> like, different things. It could mean a lot of things. It's still a little unclear of what all is there, but obviously, you know, commerce, public health, marketplace, yeah. things like that fall, with under, or fall under their umbrella. Um, so yeah, he'll be in front of Congress tomorrow, March 23rd, talking about... Um, why TikTok should stay. And so that that should be interesting. Um, I don't think they're really going to be receptive to to what he has to say, honestly. But yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll I see. I mean, they've been doing a lot in terms of trying to move data centers into the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they've even had journalists. I've seen journalists touring these like centers, uh, trust and safety centers where they're trying to uh, focus on um, yeah. you know, showing and being as transparent as they can about, you know, where they're keeping data. I mean, I think the the concern here isn't just around like data and privacy. It's around influence, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. they're worried it, it could take very little effort by very few engineers. Some uh, some reports are saying like one engineer could really do this. Just slightly tip their, you know, hand on the scale of yeah. the algorithm in terms of anti-American sentiment and pro-Chinese sentiment. Like, that's what they're very worried about is like, right. you don't, how much are we influenced by these TikTok videos and these kind of micro persuasive arguments every mm -hmm. single day that mm -hmm. let's be honest, if you, I don't know if you're on, uh, how much you're on TikTok, but <laughs> some of the most funny and engaging content on there is some of the most cynical content yeah. about almost every subject, but especially anti-American, anti-capitalist, Yes, you know, uh, kinds of content so i get why they're concerned about this and we should we should actually say the context for this is that mm -hmm. she xi jinping uh the uh leader of china i was actually just going and meeting with vladimir putin in russia just trying to like yesterday. shore up their alliance <laughs> while yeah. in the middle of the war in ukraine so this is playing uh -huh. against the back backdrop like you said of increasing tensions between the u.s and china Right. I mean, what absolutely. do you think? So, so you are, are you convinced that like a ban is on the table? Like this could actually happen? I mean, from what I read, it seems like it's very 
very possible. I don't know, though. I've seen both sides of it. Some people are saying, no, they don't think it's going to happen. Some folks are saying, yes, it's very likely, especially because it's a bipartisan issue. So I'm not really sure. It's interesting that um, two things that you mentioned was um, one, just like the political aspect, but the demographic of TikTok tends to skew fairly young. And there seems to be still a disconnect between why there's a potential TikTok ban and the connection to all mm. of the political relations and, um, you know, the alliances that you were just mentioning with Putin and um, the leader of China. So I think there's a bit of a disconnect there that's going to have some users really up in arms about the situation. Yeah. Um, but there's you also- like, that's the, 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 the youth Mm-hmm. sentiment around yes. the U.S. is yes. extremely low compared to older generations, right? Yes, so that's absolutely. that's part of the worry, I feel like, is that, like, if we're talking about, like, anti-American sentiment, those mm-hmm. are the people that are most up for hearing that kind of message, right? Right, and the, the folks making the decisions are mostly of an older generation that are going to yes. make the choice. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, you also mentioned journalists, which is, uh, I just wanted to call out because TikTok was in the news recently because they were being investigated by the DOJ because they are or have been allegedly surveilling journalists. So, so many layers. Um, They've changed their safety policies recently. Um, They've been toying around with their approach to AI, which may tie into what you're going to talk about today. But there's just so much going on. (laughs) Like It's it's ridiculous. Um, So we'll see what happened. I mean, this has been looming for about three years now, this potential ban. So... Um, and a lot has changed in a way that like so much has happened in the last three years that's made TikTok an even bigger behemoth with Mm -hmm, even mm -hmm. more users and more businesses built on top of it, more value unlocked by, you know, marketers using it. So, you know, again, government moving kind of slowly and, and TikTok gaining steam and gaining power really fast. Right. Um, I don't know. This is going to be really, really interesting to watch because. I, I think that I think there's going to be a lot of uproar if they ban it outright. Oh, I yeah. Think, I think they need to. I think they need to make um, ByteDance and the Chinese government especially believe that an outright ban is on the table. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they need to. <laughs> God, I'm trying to think of a better a better. Um, uh, analogy than shoot a hostage. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they need to. I mean, they need people to know that they're serious, right? Yeah, like we this mean can, We will outright ban this. I promise. Yes. yes. But I don't think they. I think they don't want to outright ban. At least the ones. I don't think Biden or the people that like are going to be up for to vote in two years. Yeah. Want, of all things, this to be what's on people's minds, right? Like Biden's yeah. gonna count on youth turnout if he's going to. Uh, beat the likely Republican candidate, Donald Trump, or whoever it ends up being next year. So I don't think he's going to want this to be the thing that that really, you mm-hmm. know, but but I think he's legitimately, you know, concerned about national security. I think they want to find, um, I don't want to call it a middle ground because they're kind of forcing the hand of TikTok, sure, to, sure. but something that is palpable for them to be able to say, okay, we're okay with this Absolutely. You know, middle ground. And I think that is, I still think the most likely scenario is they get to the brink, and then ByteDance says, oh, they're actually serious, and right. then they spin it, spin it off to be a U.S.-based company. 
Yeah, and that's what um, Biden's administration has been pushing for, right, is for ByteDance to either sell the company or to mm-hmm. spin it off in some way so that we basically sever the ties with China. Um, so yeah, it, remember when back in the Trump administration, they were flirting with a company buying it, mm-hmm. um, but they couldn't really find the right fit. I know that was like Oracle or Microsoft. There's a few people that they were Not kind Oracle. of flirting with. <laughs> I, yeah, nothing seems like like who at this point is going to step up and try to like take on, on TikTok. I, oh God, I just I don't I don't think Meta. Uh, who knows? Actually, you know. You know I shouldn't never say never. Maybe, maybe. I mean, they definitely got the cash for it, probably. Um, yeah. I, I would know. love to I see just... something really unlikely like Netflix or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, maybe. I, I, think, I think it's more likely that they get spun off um, yeah. than it is they get bought. But who knows? Yeah, knows? you never know. I think they're also trying to just increase the number of U.S.-based employees as well, which will, I think, help. Of course. Um, they, but, anything to show that they are tied into the American economy, right? right like they don't right. want to be tanked. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I think that's, I think that's a smart move. It's kind of like how, um, when, uh, Meta was being threatened with, you know, uh, uh everyone was talking about how, you know, Instagram and WhatsApp and whatever were, mm-hmm. Meta was too big. Basically, they immediately started integrating all of those platforms to show right. that they were, it would be really hard to deintegrate them. Right. You know, some of this is just some of it strategic and some of it is just strategic in other ways, I guess. Strategic yeah. and shadier ways. Yeah. It sounds about sounds very US. <laughs> yeah, it also sounds very meta, let's be honest. And um, that too. That too. Uh, uh that place. anyway, this is uh so are you have you how long have you been on TikTok? I wanna I wanna hear about your personal Oh usage. goodness. I do you on... find value out of it yourself? Yeah, so I guess I don't even I've I've been on TikTok maybe two years now, I would guess. I probably over the past few months just got a little bit more involved in it. Um, I, you know, I, I'm interesting. <laughs> I'm probably the wrong person <laughs> to ask. I have I have pretty much like, for lack of better words, program my brain to limit my time on social. I think part of that, too, is I you. use the yeah, like I use the um the timer on for Instagram and Twitter so that after 10 minutes, I pretty much am blocked out unless I hit a button and then it starts the timer again. So I did that for a while. I've been doing that for a few years and now it's kind of second nature where I'll scroll a little bit and then I'm like, okay, I've seen enough. Um, Is that screen time? Is that what you're talking about on the iPhone? Yeah, yeah, screen time. Yes, exactly. Oh, very exactly. interesting. That's, that's an interesting um, application of that. Yeah, and similarly, I have a plugin on my browser um, called Stay Focused. That I, a shameless plug if y'all want to, you know, support our pod. Um, but it also <laughs> helps, right? And so I just I don't know the the doom scrolling for me. It it triggers my depression. Depression. It tris- triggers my anxiety as well. And so mm-hmm. I try to avoid it. Um, and there, that that's by design. Fed? Is that what you yeah. get? Yeah, TikTok algorithm is a lot of doom scrolling. You know, kind of no, stuff. I mean, it'll be good things, but I think similar to what you were talking about, it's like, ha ha funny, but also like, ooh, that was cringy. Yeah. <laughs> I should call out that she put air quotes around good I things. I did. On yes. The- <laughs> good things in air <laughs> on quotes. Podcast. Yes. Um, but yeah, I have an interesting relationship with TikTok. I use it mostly to connect with black women because I found like a little community there, which I think has been really cool. Um, cool. And so it would, be, it would suck to have that go away for sure. Um, 
But have I you, have you found that like uh, that community you've started connecting with those women other places mm-hmm. too? Like, is it starting to get a lifespan beyond TikTok? I've connect, yeah. So some of those folks I've started to connect with on Instagram. Um, it's helped me increase my subscribers on YouTube and interact with people there as well. So yes, definitely, um, it it has its advantages. That's for sure. But yeah. I also see the addictive and harmful properties of TikTok as well. So it learns you very well and it, 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 you know, of course, customizes your algorithm and your feed to yeah. know what's going to keep you there and keep you scrolling. And it's so easy because you're not clicking. You're just scrolling. It's Infinitely. so easy. It's ridiculously easy. Do you think it's more addictive and harmful than other social media platforms? I think so, just because of the fluidity of it. And literally, you're just all you have to do is click your for you page or your friends and you can just scroll for eternity. Of course, you can use it to search for things and, you know, go to specific pages. But, um, you know, it, it Instagram has that, but I don't think it's, to me, at least my algorithm on Instagram doesn't feel as tailored to keep me just sucked mm. in. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't find the same addiction, addictive properties there, yeah. whereas... TikTok, I was like, wait a minute, I have to add this to screen time. Here I am like <laughs> scrolling is, for eternity. It is very algorithmically dependent on how it's tailored to you, mm-hmm. right? Like and mm-hmm. what you have reacted to. And that that's that is true of all social, yeah. but especially on TikTok. And yeah. I and I'm 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 thinking just in terms of my own emotional resonance with what you're saying, mm-hmm. it's not quite as doom scrolly for me on TikTok because mm. my my like progressive everything's burning down content is intermixed with like parenting videos and like pet videos that I always like to show my kids. And so like, it's also got some fun, like uplifting things. Yeah. That's the kind of deceitful nature of these algorithms is that it is all so dependent on what you react to and how Mm -hmm. it crafts itself to you. And it becomes a little bit of an echo chamber. So you don't see how insidious it can be for other people and how persuasive it can be and how much you can go down a rabbit hole of, yeah, you know, negative content because Absolutely. you you don't see that. Absolutely. And my favorite my favorite examples of that is when people will talk about how their uncle will be like, "Oh, I don't like TikTok. It's just mm-hmm. a bunch of ladies dancing around, barely clothed." <laughs> and they're always like, "You know, it's an algorithm, right?" <laughs> like, right, right, exactly, exactly. It's showing you that because. Um, yeah. I, I personally still get most of my like doom scrolling yeah. in on Twitter, but I think it's oh, because yeah. Oh, yeah. Twitter is still a garbage fire, even more yeah. so, I think, since Musk took it over. And mm-hmm. I also just still follow a lot of political focused news there and political focused people from my days in politics. And so right. it's naturally just focused on everything that's broken in the world for me. Right. Um, so that's where I have to limit my time before like my day gets ruined. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, I think Twitter is definitely heavily centered around news and current events. Right. And so and then I think the difference is when I think about the difference between like Instagram and TikTok, it's that Instagram also has like different types of, of media. So you can post photos, you can post real stories. TikTok is much more limited. I mean, there are live features, but the majority of it is just video clips. Um, and a lot of it centers around, you know, fun things like dances or how to make this, you know, this recipe or, you know, here's a hack for this. You don't get as much of that on Twitter. Twitter, again, is more like current events. Yeah. You don't get the like remixing and the creative use of like other people's ideas. That's what I've always found really fascinating um, Mm -hmm. on TikTok is like people, 
people reusing like audio or reusing video in really creative ways and kind of remixing it and making it their own especially in the music world it's very fun to like go down the rabbit hole of people making really great music and tiktok has become so speaking of being interwoven into the american economy Mm -hmm. so central to music and music industry right now. oh yeah Uh, it's fascinating definitely um Anyway, um, we could probably keep going on oh, yeah. and on about TikTok <laughs> in general because I think it's it's really interesting. But um, I will give a shout out to your point about using screen time. I downloaded an app called One Sec okay. recently. And all it does, it's, it's brilliantly simple. All it does is add some friction between you opening the apps that are the most distracting and oh. being able to get to it. So if I go to open TikTok during my workday, for example, it will yeah. stop. And make me take a three to six second breath. Huh. And then it will say, do you still want to open TikTok? Like, it will basically <laughs> say, like, it makes you. A little guilt like, trippy. Be, yeah. It'll, it'll be a little bit more. It just makes you do it with a little bit more intention, you know? Yeah. Instead of, like, mindlessly scrolling, it will just be like, do you want to open this right now? Right. Just, wanna, just adding a little bit of friction. Hmm. So one sec if you're interested. There's also a browser plug-in, so. That's pretty cool, um, though. It's like integrating mindfulness into it versus screen time. It's just like, boop, yeah. sorry. <laughs> There's a setting for it that I haven't turned on, but I think it's an interesting one that actually that actually makes you it, like enter your intention for opening it. Huh. So, yeah, I think that's maybe a little bit <laughs> intense. But, yeah. you know, if for those who might be really trying to break an addiction, it might right. be helpful. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, we think of addiction and we don't think necessarily about social media or at least in the past we didn't. I think that's becoming more of a thing now. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We will need tools and resources to break those habits. Totally. Well, speaking of tools and resources, you see yes. what I did there? See uh-huh. what I did? That, was a, that was a great segue. <laughs> um, let's talk about generative AI. So I feel like we have to we have to start this conversation talking about the introduction of chat GPT because I just mm-hmm. I can't think of anything that has in the recent future been so immediately disruptive but like what what i think is we always forget is that people have been working on ai and generative ai tools like this for years but years. when someone comes out with something like chat gpt that just immediately shows you the implications and applications of it yeah that's when people are like oh holy shit you know what i mean like yep. it's that it's that moment where we are all of a sudden paying attention yeah. And that's the that's the insidious nature of disruption is that these things happen below the surface and then we hear about them. And by then it's almost too late to like jump on board, especially mm-hmm. if we're like leading a major organization. So I think that's why in the last few months we've seen this panic and all of a sudden all this focus on generative AI because all of a sudden people are like, oh, we're behind. Yeah. And so at like now you've seen, you know, chat GPT coming out with an API and we're starting to see it more integrated. You've seen um, uh, Google launching, oh, what is it? Bard. Bard. They're launching mm-hmm. Bard, which is kind of their chat GPT competitor. And they're yep. basically trying to, they're, they're, they are worried with good reason that these kinds of chatbots that you can talk to and find answers for and can give you, um, you know, what basically whatever answers you need are going to yeah. start replacing going to Google and, being, and Google being the like main place where you find information. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. instead of typing into Google, when was John Legend's birthday? Mm-hmm. You can just ask a chat bot and yep. it will tell you. And so yep. I think that um, there's <laughs> there's lots of implications there to me about 
where this information comes from and how mm-hmm. we apply it, because it's basically taking these data sets from around the web and then regenerating them. And yeah. speaking of remixing and recreating, it's taking people's writing, it's taking artists' work yeah. and regenerating it in things like yeah. stable diffusion, for example. Um, so there are definitely some like where where does an ownership over a thing exist when it's mm-hmm. being regenerated? But what I want to talk to you today about is Microsoft is starting to um, integrate AI-powered tools into uh, their office suite sure. um, with a tool called Copilot, for example. Mm-hmm. It's an AI assistant. I'm sure there's lots of ways they're going to start incorporating this into how we write things. Yeah. I think about, you know, if you're if you're composing something in Gmail right now and it suggests mm-hmm. the next word. Yep. To me, it's going to be like that on steroids. Like maybe we get to the point where it's like, oh, you're look you look like you're writing a, a new biz pitch on in this email. Can I just finish this paragraph for you? Boom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We could get to a point like that um, where we're just we're producing things a lot faster. Yes. Um, but you also have Adobe anno- announcing a tool called Firefly, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is also about generative AI. And Adobe caught my attention because of all of the ethical implications we were just talking about, about stable diffusion and the recreation and regeneration of artistic work. Yes. Well, Adobe's suite is still kind of where it's at when it comes to creative work. And, mm-hmm. and if you don't know, I'm talking about Photoshop. I'm talking about Illustrator. Right. Talking about Lightroom. Um, so if you start integrating these generative AI tools into things where people are taking, you know, their graphic design and their creativity to, mm-hmm. where do you start just generating this stuff versus where are people creating it originally? And do right. original creators start to be replaced a little bit by people who can just go here and make shit? Without having to like hire a photographer or hire an actual artist. Do you know what I mean? I feel like if you are a business leader and especially in a creative industry where you are looking at the production of copy, the production of creative work, how do you not lean into this in a way that is going to create more efficiency for your organization and make you move faster versus your competitors, but at what expense of your actual workforce? How does this start to impact freelancers how does it start to impact full-time creative staff i feel like that we're about to have a huge wave of impact on the creative industry absolutely now i'll get off my soapbox what were you gonna say no i think that was a great intro and just uh, covers a lot um i have a lot of views on this because my mom is actually a designer and so i've been very familiar with adobe for many many years since childhood back when we had a macintosh um (laughs) she put she put adobe suite in the crib with you yeah pretty much pretty much like we used to have like the software that you had to go pick up in the box and it came with the disc and yeah we had all of that it took hours to install so i remember those days um, but it's so interesting because we were just talking about this and she was like, I feel like, you know, I, I pretty much have no choice but to learn all of these different tools now because design is moving so quickly and the expectation is for you to move quickly as well. So, I mean, one of the features that is really interesting with Firefly is like you could pretty much go in there and say, you know, create a logo for XYZ and it generates very, very quickly multiple versions of something 
And then you can then pick one or two of those or however many and continue to iterate on it very, very quickly. Things that um, would have taken hours and hours, hours if not days, before. you know, and a lot of back and forth with your clients to say, hey, what do you think about this one? And then they want to tweak this. Now it's like you can get it done very, very fast. Um, but it's sad because it stifles so much of the creative aspect of, of individuals. Like you're relying on AI, which, yes, it can generate some pretty cool visual images or graphics but it's not coming from a person with all of these years of experience and observations and you know all the work they've put into that so i find that part very sad um do you think that there's a middle ground there where you could say like based on research that you've done as a designer for example like in yeah. my experience working with designers and doing a little design myself there's a lot of there's a process of like figuring out what people like, what, yeah. what emotionally resonates with them, what visuals are they attracted to? And then they will create work off of that. Right. 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 Um, basically, like doing that brand strategy work before you develop the you know visual identity. But AI is doing is, that. <laughs> well, well, this is what I'm saying is like if you could do that brand strategy work and mm -hmm. then ask for the right things from AI. So basically mm. you do the you do the work ahead of time to say, you know, Give me give me a logo that has, you know, fall colors and um, is nostalgic and doesn't have hard lines. And, mm -hmm. you know, you could start like adding some of that what research parts, but you don't actually do the laying it out and creating it part. Right, right. I yeah. don't know. Like that's that's that feels like a middle ground to me, but it's still it's still a dramatic reduction in value for the designer who would have spent hours and build hours right. for yes. the creation of that logo. Yeah. But then the argument is then to play a bit of devil's advocate. Why as the client, can I just do that myself? I could type in what I want and what I like and let, let the thing do what it does. <laughs> you, you know, could. So. you could, if you knew, if you were smart enough, right? Like mm -hmm. a, it, it's almost, just do you have time? Like, that's the only thing is like, maybe you pay them because you don't have time. But yeah, right. if you were if you were savvy enough. Yeah, that's the thing is like anyone is going to be able to do this very quickly. Absolutely. But it's kind of it kind of reminds me of what we went through with web design in the last <laughs> 20 years where oh, yeah. like it used to be very hard to build a website. You had to know a lot of code. You had to know mm -hmm. HTML and CSS. Now you can go to Squarespace. You can have a website up in a matter of minutes that looks yes. pretty good. Right. Absolutely. Like you fill in some copy, you fill in some imagery, but looks pretty professional. It's mobily responsive. Like all those oh, things yeah. are super easy to do and anyone yeah. can really do them. Now, yep. um, generative AI is going to do the same for a lot of this more creative, high touch design work. Mm -hmm. And it's it's even they're taking it a step further on the website website of things. I don't know if you've seen, but like on Wix, for example, they have predictive text that will basically generate copy for you. Um, and do it very quickly, chat GPT Man. style. Yes, yes. Um, Wild. Yeah, and then they've started to integrate a lot of like images that you can just drag and drop, um, audio that's royalty free. I mean, I ha we haven't even talked about Canva, which I think is making Adobe speed up its process because so 100%. many people are on Canva yeah, right Canva's now. Canva's putting a lot of competitive pressure on Adobe. Oh, yeah. Absolutely right. Oh, yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see, but I do think we're going to see folks losing jobs i mean just the influx of like the ai generated photos that we were seeing recently where people were like paying i don't know like 10 15 bucks to get like a series of portraits 
um, is really interesting. I saw this one woman do it for headshots and they look so good. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she, she was like, I didn't have to leave my house. I uploaded a few photos of me with different hairstyles and poses. And it generated these beautiful professional headshots. And depending on what job she was going for, it probably showed that she like understands technology and not, you know what I mean? Like it's probably exactly. a competitive advantage. Exactly. Uh, but, but okay. Yeah. So this is a, this is a podcast for leaders. <laughs> yes. Um, what do you do? Like you are, I, I think we are about to just see a huge shift in workforce in the creative, in creative industries yeah. where you know, the, the energy and the expertise is going to shift more toward AI. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these kind of classically, quote unquote, classically, like really in the last 20 years, like yeah. trained on graphic design and even copywriting, to your point, to some extent, mm -hmm. um, are going to have to either be retrained or or going to be laid off. Like, what do you as a leader, how do you make the decision between there's there's a metaphor here to to like moving quickly and being innovative while yeah. kind of keeping bringing people along. But to me, this one's going to happen so quickly. There's going to have to be a lot of hard decisions made pretty quickly. Absolutely. You, like, what do you think about balancing that? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is leaders making sure that they're aligned on their values and what they stand for. Um, because I feel like I noticed that a lot of leaders will align on values and you know kind of define what their their mission is, their vision, et cetera, but they kind of stray away from that North Star over time. And so I think it's important sure. to kind of periodically come back and check in on that. Um, are we people Especially first? as you become a bigger bureaucracy, right? Right. Because it has Absolutely. to be, what does the culture want, not just what I want? And have Absolutely. I embedded my values into that culture in a way that is sustainable? Right, right. And are we but actually living those those values, right? Yeah. Um, but this People does feel like one of those times where there's going to be a huge competitive pressure to keep up. Oh, yeah. And oh, if yeah. I can, if this firm over here, if I'm in a creative agency and this firm over here is doing twice the work and half the amount of time mm -hmm. and the, the work is just as good or maybe like 90% as good, but for a lot less money. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, there's going to have to be some hard decisions made. And this is one of those times where I don't envy leaders that are going to have to be like. I'm sorry, we just need to keep up. And like, right. I value your work. I think you're great. I think you're creative. But if I can get a machine to do your work in half the time for a tenth of the cost, do you know yeah. what I mean? Hard, like that's hard a, that's a tough place to be in. Definitely, definitely. And I think, you know, leaders should, as much as, as they can, try to take on ethical approaches to all of this. Um, try to take on equitable approaches to all of this and ensuring that they are taking into consideration that humans are still involved in all of this. Um, and whenever possible, I think it's really important for, you know, leaders to, I've, I've definitely encountered leaders that are pushing back that are like, oh, we don't need to learn that thing. Yes, you do. Yes, you right. do. You need to know what's going on. You need to be able to navigate these tools. It's very important. Otherwise, your business is likely going to be left behind or just go kaput. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. Like, this is one of those areas where it feels like you, we've got to wrap our head around what the implications are sooner than later. To my point yeah. about disruption earlier, like, you're probably already behind. Yeah. Like, it's, it's time to take this, this seriously. And in the next few years, it's going to have a huge disruptive influence. And yeah. it's going to have to be have to make some hard decisions. I think that like creating that adaptable spirit in your workforce, um, mm -hmm. creating flexible and growth mindsets, and also like just increasing your organization's metabolism in terms of its 
integration and understanding of things like this and how it can enhance work and where people need to be retrained and upskilled. Right. All those things matter in moments like this that are just uh, are about to be so, so disruptive. If you yeah. were the last question on this topic, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Just, especially with your mom being a designer. Yeah. If you were in your mom's shoes, like what would you be doing differently? Like if you saw AI coming for, you know, a lot of your work, like do you do you pivot to be, you know, an AI expert or do you do you find value elsewhere? What do you do with that? I think I do what she's doing, which is learning as much as possible about these new tools um, and then making a decision based off of that. So she's continuing to do her work and leveraging these tools as they come, but and just being mindful that they exist. Um, but it has, a, you know, it's, it's interesting because it has applied pressure because she, now she's like, oh my gosh, I gotta go, 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 go. And she hasn't had that sort of like time pressure as much in the past. Um, and for context, my mom is in Ohio, so things are much slower in comparison to, you know, how we move in New York and Chicago and these major cities. So, um, of course, remote life has changed that a bit, but most of her clients are local. So the pace is still a little slower, mm. but we're noticing that it's starting to rapidly pick up. So I think it's it's hard. On one hand, I think, yes, just trying to learn as much as possible and figuring out, like, do I become... Do I keep doing the work I'm doing, but also maybe provide coaching or education to others? I think that's also ah, an option. To find um, new revenue streams. Find new revenue streams, right? Of how can I teach this to other people? Um, I mean, I follow a ton of YouTubers that that's how I learn. I'm like, okay, what is this thing? YouTube, great. I watch someone do it and I'm like, oh, interesting. YouTube's um, the second largest search engine for, in the world for that reason. It's pretty incredible. A lot of how-to content. Lots of how-to content. So I think, yes, I'd lean into that. I don't know if I'd want to become an AI sort of subject matter expert and leave behind all of that creative side of things. Because I think that would get stifled so much, especially if you're a true, like, artistic, creative being. That would be so, so hard to do from my, my perspective. Um, so. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Yeah. Is this not like when photography went from film to digital? Like, it... Could you be caught in that like, oh, film is the only real <laughs> photography moment right now? I don't think it's the same thing. I think it did. I think the transition from film to digital has stifled some creativity because, um, you know, you look at film and there is an artistic element to the type of film you select and the camera and all of that. Right. But it's still up to the photographer who is an artist to shoot whatever subject matter whatever it is that's still an artistic part they can still go into photoshop and illustrator and touch up things right and and do what they do whereas with ai generative ai you could pretty much have the entire process replaced from the con from the research that you were talking about to because chat gpt can do that for you um to you know actually creating the copy we have that and then we've got you know, you can say, I want X, Y, Z, and it spits out 10, 20 versions or more of what you want in seconds, seconds. So mm -hmm. I think you're replacing so much of that process. Um, and you can continue to narrow it down by just talking to the AI to say, hey, this is too this or it's too bright or it's too direct or whatever it is. And it'll keep generating things very fast. So I think it's such a different process um, where a lot of the creative aspect is taken away in contrast to photography shifting from film mm. to digital. I think there's, again, some restriction, but it's not the same thing. Like this is removing the human element to me, like almost completely, if you allow it to.
if you allow it to. If you allow it to. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think there's an element that's like technology always upcycles art in the way art is created. Like I think about um, moving from records to online streaming and what audio quality do we lose? Think about moving from film to digital and what kind of like nuances of film do we lose? Like, yeah. Is this maybe maybe it's just that like kind of traditional art and copywriting and all that becomes more of a niche such like we I, I don't know. Like maybe there it it like retains its value in a more nostalgic way. But I think I'm, so. I'm excited to see where this goes. I mean, the one thing we didn't talk about and I don't want to open up a can of worms right now, but there's <laughs> sure. a whole thing here about what happens to generative AI when we teach it based on data sets that have inherent inequities. And I heard a story about someone asking chat GPT for suggestions of 10 philosophers and getting all white men back. And then basically saying, what about women? And it's like, oh, sorry. And then it gives some women suggestions and it goes, well, what about people of color? And it goes, oh, sorry. And, but like that, that is inherent to how we're teaching AI. Like AI is learning based on how society is already unequal. And so I'm Mm -hmm. hoping that the people who, are building this or thinking about that and building in those kinds of considerations into the into uh the upfront but not going to hold out hope <laughs> but yeah. we'll talk about that talk about that at another time i think yeah. we got to get to our get to our one more thing for the day let's do it all right what'd you bring for your one more thing today adriel um for today i wanted to and this is probably a recurring theme for me but talk about mental health because i think it's so so important and recurring theme for both of us yeah <laughs> yeah no, definitely three out of five times for yes. our one more thing yeah but i think you know we often say check on our strong friends and i don't know that we all know what that means other than like you know, I'll send a text to someone and make sure they're okay or call someone and just say, hey, how's it going? And um, I think as humans, we've been conditioned to just be like, oh, things are fine. Things are okay. But I think there is just, we need to do a little bit more for each other, especially given that we are, we have a shortage of mental health care professionals right now. Health insurance is not always the best. And so I think there is a dire need for us to lean into community again as I felt like we did a little bit more pre-pandemic. I think the the pandemic caused obviously some isolation and and separation amongst folks, but um there's certainly a need for that community and we've also seen a big shift in terms of community um and I don't know why I hate to bring religion into this, but I think it's an important thing to bring up is like especially in the US fewer people attend church now. And Mm -hmm. historically, that was one of the primary ways that people maintain a sense of community. Um, Right. Or you have this- The bowling alone argument, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I think because we have fewer opportunities like church um, to come together with other folks, there is a need for us to form community again. And so I don't know exactly what that looks like. I've been seeing, at least in like New York and other um, cities, there have been a lot of social clubs forming where people pay memberships to join these social clubs where they may offer workplaces or just share dinners and conversations. But I think that is so necessary because of how challenging life is right now <laughs> we need other people that's, to get that's through. really interesting it's like an adult fraternity or sorority yeah yeah right? there are a number of them there are a number of them um so it's it's been really interesting to see i just came across one here in i think it's i think they're located in both oakland and san francisco but 
their aim is to basically end social isolation. So they've created a, a space, a physical space, and you come in, you, you can sign up for a membership. They have different events and um, happenings going on. And yeah, it's just a great way to, to rebuild community. And I think, again, it's so easy. We were talking about TikTok earlier. It's very easy with social media to feel like you have community. But in reality, when you look up from your phone, it's not quite the same. And so. Just is want to there bring not, that's what I was going to ask you. Is there, is there a way that online can replace any of that human connection? Maybe not to the same extent and maybe not through super consumptive mediums like TikTok, sure. for example. But you you said that you found community on TikTok. So like, is there a version of that we can find online? Yeah, and I think there is some version of that. But as humans, we haven't evolved to the point where we don't need other people like physically around us. There are certain like endorphins that are released and hormones that are released when you are physically by other humans or when you physically hug or touch another human. And so I think, yes, there is opportunity for online community, but you still need to supplement that with actual interaction with other human beings and being able to see them to touch them to smell them to feel them like those are very real things that um, ai cannot replicate for us yeah i'm an introvert so i'm going to disagree with you and say other people are terrible (laughs) but um you know i get your point just kidding just kidding check on me i'm your strong friend (laughs) no but really you know i we always I, i always come back to that saying check on your strong friends because i think it's really easy for us to forget when we see people that are high performers or that are constantly smiling or laughing or um that are supporting other people constantly but it's like okay but who's checking on you and who's supporting you so i think it's really important that we just remind each other to do that and to seek pockets of community to stay connected yeah I mean, I check on you at least once a week, Adriel. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. All right. Uh, yeah. My one more thing is, I don't know if you saw the news that uh, Volkswagen has actually released an affordable, quote unquote, an affordable electric vehicle. And by affordable, it actually is at a pretty good price point. It's at 25,000 euros or $26,000. Oh. That's pretty which, good. Right? I mean, yeah. EVs have had this reputation for being basically inaccessible to the majority of the public. Like, yeah. the, the, you know, Tesla's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite companies that I've been keeping an eye on, Rivian, has an amazing um, SUV, but it starts at like $90,000. I mean, it's just, these are kind of insanely priced historically vehicles. Yeah. It's, a, it's very hard to, um, to afford them. And so Volkswagen has actually released something that is relatively affordable. And it's not, mm-hmm. you know, it hasn't, hit the market yet um especially in the u.s still still coming but i I, it's exciting progress to me it also like the article that i was reading um pitted them against tesla who has promised to uh, unveil an affordable electric vehicle and still hasn't really not i think yeah comes in at like what 35 36 thousand for sure um so it's also putting a lot of competitive pressure on tesla it is fascinating to me to like zoom out and see how much Tesla was an innovator here and really mm-hmm. pushed the market to innovate. But now everyone has an EV, right? Like everyone's yeah. moving into this space. You've seen, you know, companies making huge commitments to moving their entire fleets into all electric. So we really we're at a tipping point and it's exciting to see. Yeah, I'm curious to see how it works out. Um, 
I also, um, when I was researching EVs some time back, came across the tax credit, which I didn't even know was a thing, mm-hmm. where you actually receive a tax credit um, yep. for a significant amount, too, if you have an electric vehicle. Um, so I'm curious to know how that will impact the economy as well and what we'll see there. Um, I also, I don't know, do you know much about, you know, the overall sort of impact on the environment that EVs have in contrast to like gas powered vehicles? Yeah, I have read a little bit about this and it's fascinating. So obviously like EVs themselves are pretty great for the environment with the exception of the minerals that we have to mine to get the batteries. So Uh, that's a whole other thing. There's yes. also a lot of geopolitical implications for that because of where the minerals are in the world, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Sure. But um, the problem is that the gas guzzling vehicles that EV re- EVs are replacing don't necessarily get taken off the road. So, you know, in I saw a report, I think it was last year, that EVs are making a significant carbon difference, but only really when the cars that they are replacing get retired. Because right. if you if you sell your gas guzzling vehicle and then it just goes on to the next driver, but you're now driving an EV, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like it's not going to make a significant difference until we get like real mass market adoption of EVs and we start getting like, getting all those gas you know driving vehicles off the roads completely. Right. I don't know why, but in my mind, I always imagined that we'd see more like solar powered vehicles before. EVs, but I guess it's well, takes I always imagine we'd of... have flying cars. So I mean, both by now, of course, <laughs> like, back to I'm the so future shocked. just ruined me, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it's so interesting. And I also wish there was a more um, affordable way for us to convert electric vehicles to or electric gas powered vehicles to electric because I think that would yeah. probably solve a lot of our issues. But from what I've seen, that's pretty costly. So. It is pretty costly, and I've I've seen that happen, but it's been on like old muscle cars where people mm. really want to kind of maintain the nostalgia and keep driving them without like having them be really gassed up. So it's definitely like a hobby more yeah. so than anything that can be mass market adoption. But I'm I'm huh. keeping my eye on this. I think my next yeah. vehicle is going to be an EV. Um, in the next yeah. few years, we'll see. But I'm I'm excited to see this take off because I feel like we've been talking about it for so so long. Definitely need, a, definitely need a lot of infrastructure still, but yeah, I also want to we'll circle see. back on the um, the self-driving cars. I haven't looked into that in a while either. So I know there are a number of companies out there exploring it. Ugh. I know that uh, Tesla has been up under fire for a few yes, of their they have. vehicles. So <laughs> maybe we'll revisit Speaking that next week. Speaking <laughs> of ethics and tech, yeah, there's a whole thing we can unpack there, but yeah. that's for another day. Definitely. Um, all right, Adriel, this has been fascinating as always. I will yes. give one shout out at the end. Um, we're five episodes in now. Um, thank you all so much for listening and giving us feedback. If you are enjoying the pod, we would very much love you to share with your friends, tweet about it, make a TikTok about it while you still can. <laughs> um, you know, like leave us a review, not just a rating, a review, like just yes. help us support the pod, help us to get more subscribers, more listeners. We very much appreciate all of you. I think there's a great conversation to be had here about social responsibility in business and i know a lot of you are enthusiastic about it so please help us get the word out absolutely thanks see everyone see you next week thanks for listening to leadership our producer is dave sandell think about starting your own podcast connect with him at davesandell.com
can find more about Adrielle and her diversity, equity, and inclusion work at adrielleparker.com. You can also subscribe to her YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Parker for more candid discussions on DEI and for more insight on inclusive leadership. You can find more information about me, Caleb Gardner, and my work and hire me to speak on change leadership at calebgardner.com or 18coffees.com. And you can find my book, No Point B, Rules for Leading Change in the New Hyperconnected Radically Conscious Economy, wherever books are sold. <laughs>